Hello, this is Kristen McDonald, and welcome to Second Vision. My guest today, Teresa Chung, is a Sunday Times best-selling author in the fields of spirituality, heaven, the science of the paranormal, and the afterlife. Born into a family of spiritualists, she has over two decades of experience, both personal and professional, boasting a master's degree in theology in English from King's College, Cambridge. Teresa has had her work featured in the Daily Mail. She has also been a newspaper stream expert, interviewed by Russell Brand on his podcast, Under the Skin, and in the Sunday Mirror, the Daily Express, Good Morning Britain, and Talk Radio, to name a few. Her latest book, The Sensitivity Code, is about unlocking the potential of your sensitivity during times such as these sensitive, gentle people are, according to research, more likely to have psychic abilities and to have vivid dreams, strong intuition, and be drawn to spirituality as a way of life. I am so delighted to have her with us today, calling from England, of all places. Whereabouts are you in England, Teresa? I live in Windsor, which is very close to London. Oh, with that beautiful <laughs> accent. Like I said to a friend of mine from Sydney once, never lose that accent. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> you could calm anyone down with the sound of it. So thank you so much for taking oh. the time to do the show. Thank I you just, for having me. I'm really, really happy to be here. Thank you. Oh, it's really exciting. You know, everything that you've been studying. And my goodness, you've written over 100 books? Yes, it's slightly out there, isn't it? I just can't stop. It is an addiction. I'm dealing with it. <laughs> Do you ever get up, come up for air? <laughs> well, it's just, it, I just, I write. I just, it's just what I do. It's who I am. And if I, I, I mean, I write because I feel I have something important to say and to whoever it resonates with. But if I don't write, I don't feel right. It, it, maybe it's my therapy. It's just who I am. It's become part of me. I always am either reading a book or writing one. <laughs> Well, it's so interesting because here you were raised in a family, you know, who had these abilities, right? You're, some were, were psychics in your family? Yes. Yes. But absolutely. you ended up going it to was... study theology, which is so interesting. You went into, you delved into religion. Yes, I did because I wanted, I, for a while I was considering becoming a nun. I wanted to be the first female vicar over here in the UK. That was my dream. I, I, I fell in love with Christianity but then I went to university and I studied all religions. And as often happens, I saw beauty in all these religions and then kind of took the position of, of universal spirituality where I, I feel that I'm spiritual, not so much religious anymore, but spiritual. I see that you sort of kind of see the bigger picture. And then I devoted my life to using my academic background and what Cambridge gave to me, which I feel so blessed to have been given. Wonderful school. The word about, yeah, about the spiritual dimension to life, which I feel has been neglected. It should be the first rather than the last thing we consider. Um, and that's what I've made it my mission to do. And that's why I do this tremendous output of books, because I hope that it will suit all different types of people from all different walks of life, because I approach spirituality in many different ways, working with scientists sometimes or books for teenagers, working with artists collaborating with practitioners, collaborating with scientists. And in this case, with the Sensitivity Code, my latest book, which actually has been retitled The Sensitive Soul because that resonated more, 
is I wanted to do something to hit the mainstream a bit more because I'm known as a paranormal author. But, of course, whenever you use that word paranormal, psychic, spiritual, there's a certain people just shudder. So this like the skeptics. The, What's his yes, name? You were yes. speaking <laughs> about him on um, Russell's show. Is it, uh, Randy, is Canadian. Uh, is it, What's his first name? Yes. Yeah. Can you elaborate a bit on that? And what you say to the, the, the skeptics? Yes. Yes. yes, of course. You can't have been writing about the psychic world as I have done for 20 years. You know, and I've been very blessed. Two of my books got to the Sunday Times top 10, just showing how much people have an insatiable desire to know about this spiritual dimension. But you can't write about that, these kinds of topics, being psychic, divination, the invisible and the unseen without these skeptics coming in, and especially someone like me. I'm a target because I went to King's College, Cambridge. Shouldn't I know best? (laughs) (laughs) You're the intellectual. They're saying, what's the wrong with you? Yeah, even my peers, it's like, oh, no, she writes about feathers and angels and all that. So (laughs) it's been difficult. But about 10 years ago, I really, I mean, I, I... got used to it it was it was just sort of brushed off me i just thought well you either believe or you don't you don't have to read my books but then about 10 years ago i wanted to do something to really have something more tangible to offer the skeptics and to say well it's what i believe or this is you know how a lot of people feel so i i reached out to scientists and this continues in the sensitive soul that my latest book as well where i talk about the scientific research into people who have you know, great intuition, empathy, potentially psychic powers, you know. Um, I wanted to look into the science of consciousness and to work with scientists and to show that there's so much research out there now to show that there is an unseen dimension to our lives and we need to pay attention to it. And this is controversial, but, you know, what's happening with the pandemic at the moment, for what, whatever reason, I feel we are all being forced to contemplate what truly matters in our lives as never before. Definitely. Um, and I did very much feel like in, in recent years, I began to feel like it was like a kettle was boiling. There was so much materialism, so much focus on externals and getting yourself worth from your job, your status, your followers on Facebook, how you look, you know, the rise of the reality TV stars, Instagram influencers, which all has its place, but that became like the pinnacle of success. And yet, Obsessiveness with cell day, phones. Yes, exactly. Which, I mean, the cell phones are wonderful. They connect us in a way, but it's, it's about also what about the inner world, your inner strength, who you really are, your values, and that eternal part of you. Because when people are close to the end, and I've sat with people who are losing their lives or going to the other plane, they never talk about those externals. All they want to talk about is love, who they've impacted, and, and, you know, the meaning of life. You know, who I am, that's what they want to talk about. As far as I know, all the phone calls on the 9-11 claims, nobody talks about their stocks, you know, their stocks and shares, or their no. houses, or their properties, or their how almost just make sure my Facebook page, you know, survives. None of them spoke about that. They just said, I love you. And really, it's the human connection. Yeah, that's what all my books really are, different ways of saying, I love you, and understanding what this force of love, and it's not what the, the movies and the, the media push about love, that's just 
one aspect of it. It's the That's eternal beautiful. connection between us all, you know, and also it's also falling in love with yourself, but not in a narcissistic way, in a way that makes you feel so complete and whole and to not have expectations of others and realize that you are enough. So many people don't feel they are enough. And I hope the sensitive soul will make everyone who does have a feeling approach to life, who is inclined to be kind, who is inclined to put other people first, who has is compassionate, who does cry when they see violence on the television, who does sense atmospheres, because we all do, but they stop thinking this is a weakness or that they're a shy or weak person. Because, you know, society does tend to value people who walk all over you and narcissistic. And we've got to empower people who are inclined towards thinking about not just themselves, but the well-being of everyone. And I'm being empathetic. I, you know, I just got to the point in your yes. book where you mentioned one thing uh, to watch was the Disney movie Inside Out. Was that, was that what the name of it? Oh, bliss, bliss. Yeah, and that's what you're talking about now. I haven't seen it, but I'm going to put it on my list and, and rent it on Disney. But, but tell, tell our listeners why that's so important, because you're kind of talking about the mm. same thing here. Well, I've actually, I'm, I've actually collaborated with people who... who who create movies and whatever, because I realize movies are a way to touch millions of lives. Mm -hmm. They're these hidden spiritual themes in a way. Because if, if you went to talk to them about being spiritual or having values or the eternal part of us which may survive death, people would switch off. But if you hide it in a movie, it can reach millions. And that's why I really do like recommending movies. And Inside Out, I recommend because... It shows you how important it is to understand you are in charge of your thoughts and feelings. You are not your thoughts and feelings. They don't define you. You you are the manager of them. That's what that movie beautifully shows. And it also shows how important feelings of sadness, loss, grief, and pain are. And that we need to accept them and embrace them and learn and grow from them. Um, it's a truly beautiful movie. Another Disney movie is, is a study in how to cope with the pain, the gut-wrenching pain of bereavement is Up, the Disney movie Up. I would recommend anyone who wants to look at a truly spiritual movie to go and watch Up. Really? Is it good man, for any kind of loss? Any kind. You can translate. I mean, it's about an old man who has lost the love of his life, the woman mm -hmm. he shared, you know, 50, 60 years with, and what does he do? Um, and it's an absolutely, because of course you see him going through the stages of grief and it's done in a beautiful way. And at the end, it's so empowering because he realizes that, you know, he realizes what his life is all about and what that relationship was about. And it, it's beautiful. It really oh, is. Oh, it sounds beautiful. That's going to go actually. on my list as well. Is that we've all, <laughs> you know, we've all experienced loss of some kind, whether it's a loved one or a partner or, um, uh, you know, loss now during the pandemic, you know. Oh, so many people have had so to So many things, my goodness. I, mm -hmm. It's rampant, and it's global. It's not just where you live and but your friends. You have, it's global. When you have loss, that's when you realize there has to be more to this life than the material, how I yes. defined myself with my, my relationship. Yes. Because you know, that's in a way as well. You know, your relationships do not define you. Your relationships should enhance you, and you should just be grateful for people as they pass through your life. But they are going to leave, and, and, and hanging all your self-esteem on another person is equally 
draining. You can't do that. Absolutely. Nothing is permanent. Yeah. So so let's and get into your book. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. <laughs> There's so much no, to sorry, talk about in your in your book about sensitives. And, and so why why the topic of sensitives? What defines a sensitive person? Well, and why I do they have more problems than have, others? Oh, yeah. I think, first of all, we all have that sensitive gene in us. And I think it's a gene that's essential for our survival because communities that take good care of each other parents to take care of their young, they're going to survive more. So it hasn't been eliminated because it's necessary for us to be sensitive and caring. You wouldn't think so in the world today with what's going on sometimes, but it is ex- it's essential really for our survival, and I think it's key to our survival. Identifying that you're sensitive is basically you don't observe life, you kind of feel it. You, see, you, see, you experience life through vividly. You are, when you meet someone, you're conscious of you almost like you walk in their shoes and you think about the impact that your words are going to have on them. You're sensitive to moods and atmospheres, your environment. Your instinct is to not be selfish, but to, to help others and make them feel good. That's your instinct. Your instinct is to be kind. And, you know, people like that, especially recently, have been downtrodden and walked all over because they don't fight back because it's not in their nature. Um, and what they need to do is to understand, though, that once they realize that these, these sensitive personality traits, which psychologists do define in and about a fifth of the population, have highly sensitive traits, which, you know, is extreme. They identify as highly sensitive. But if you can realize that these are gifts, intuition and empathy are superpowers. And there's enough research, scientific research, into both these superpowers to show that if you know how to harness them, if you understand them, you understand their power, you can be and do anything you want. It's incredibly empowering. But most sensitive souls get stuck because they get hurt so easily. They get hurt easily. And do you think that can make you defensive? I don't know how many times someone said to me, oh, you're so sensitive. And then as a retort of being defensive, and then I realized later, I was defensive, and that's something I have to work on. Yeah, it is. It It does make you defensive. It makes you fall into your shell. And and another um, trait of sensitive people, they need to spend time alone because it's like they kind of have to clear out to ponder what's happened to them and just have time to regroup. And rejuvenate. Yeah, and, and if they are with people for too long periods of time, they really kind of, it gets them very stressed. So in a way, the quarantine, the lockdown conditions, you know, are actually for sensitive souls a time for them to draw strength from. Because for them, they will find it easier to, to cope with. Because going out in the world, the world can be a very overwhelming place. And if you are Yes, you say they're you easily learn, overwhelmed. Sensitives are easily overwhelmed. Easily. Let's talk about that. And you need to learn techniques how to deal with that. I know that. When you go into crowds, when you go into a room for a first time and meet someone for a first time, you, you, you get easily overwhelmed, and I still have that. But there are certain tools and techniques and insights you can learn so that when that panic strikes, and it will, it will. It's not going to go away because it's who you are. Sensitive people need to understand they're not going to change. But what can change is how they manage it and make it a strength, and that is possible. I think sensitive people are the strongest people in the world. It's both a blessing and a curse to be sensitive. Mm. But you can make it a blessing. You can make it a true blessing. 
That's wonderful. Now, are sensitive people more likely to be dreamers and have intuitive dreams, like some of the things I shared with you before the show about dreaming? And Yes, because dreams are pure emotion, and sensitive mm-hmm. people, as I said, they live their life through the lens of emotion. So the more emotional you are, the more vivid and frequent dreams you're going to have. And especially in the lockdown, when the world is in such chaos, it's actually called the lockdown dream phenomenon, so many people are reporting more dreams because they you know dreams are a way to help you deal with you know your to work out difficult issues and emotions through a symbolic language that you speaks to your unconscious and it's trying to help you and so many people right now are dreaming more frequently and vividly than ever before and i think sensitive people would top the list there because they've always had an active dream life and i think right now with the chaos in the world they will be dreaming so much but this is again if you're lucky to get to sleep trend. after watching the news. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it's incredible, isn't it? it it's, um, you know, so what happens when you go to sleep? I think your dreaming mind is a bit like an internal therapist and much cheaper than a real one. What it's trying to do is it's trying to sort it all out for you and make sense of it. And it presents it to you in a symbolic language. And then it's up to you to go and decode the symbols of your dreams. And I've written many books about that, and that's actually has got me so much attention recently during the lockdown. I've been called up by so many media outlets and newspapers to give expert comments on the dream phenomenon that's happening right now because so many people are recording intensely vivid dreams um, and they've been asking my perspective of it. And I just feel it's almost like a wonderful opportunity to introduce people to the spiritual aspects of life because we don't know what dreams are. I think they're a gateway and the fact that globally more dreaming is being recorded right now as a reaction to the pandemic, because we've all altered our sleep schedules as well, and that triggers more dreaming as a scientific yeah. reason. But I think and we're overcompensating, don't you think? I mean, that happened to me when I lost my part of my eyesight. Uh, I'm, I, I, I dream. I can see in my dreams, but I can't see faces in reality now. They're doing stem cell on me, and there's, yes. there's hope for one day. But, but I, I have these vivid, colorful. Uh, dreams, which is so interesting. And I think with the pandemic, people are probably compensating more in their dreams, too, for things that they've lost during the day that they're not doing and, and feeling and engaging in, don't you think? Oh, you are so right. You are so right, Sandy. You are absolutely right there. And um, as well as compensating and helping them make sense of it, I also think this vivid dreaming is opening, is waking you up spiritually. Because it's getting so many people to think, what are my dreams? Where am I? Who am I when I dream? Yeah. What's going on? We don't know why we dream. There are theories, but nobody knows for sure why we dream. And another beautiful thing about dreaming is that whoever you are, whatever you believe, whatever culture, race you are, you will dream. It illustrates our shared humanity. And that is so beautiful about dreaming. And I think that's kind of a way spirituality is breaking through right now. Well, you know, it's interesting. Yes, I mean, when you're talking about shared humanity, I had this dream that was kind of, I thought, first a very unsettling dream when I woke up the other day. But it was, I've made sense of it now in the last few days. I was in New York, in Manhattan, where I lived a long time ago. And 
I was lost. And, you know, that happens to me sometimes when I'm being vision impaired, you know, and I think I panic, you know, I can't drive anymore. I can't, well, is this the way right or left, north, east? And I was saying to someone, wait a minute, is this way Canada? Is this way New Jersey? Because that's where I was raised in New Jersey. And I said, is this way Connecticut? And then I I suddenly, I I was in the streets of New York, but everyone was unleashed. The, all the, the the rich and the poor, everyone were together. People were getting on and off buses and everything. There was chaos. There was what's going on in the world, you know, which was kind of, you know, yeah. bothering me. But at the very end of the dream, there was kind of a beautiful moment. This person from the street, I ha- I didn't have any shoes in the dream. And I said, I can't walk across the bridge without without shoes. And this woman came to me, and she's obviously challenged. She was homeless or something. And she said, I, I have a pair of shoes for you. And it was a brand new pair of Nikes. And she gives them to me. And I went to my purse. There was no money in it. I said, I don't have money. I'm panicking. I said, I'll come back. I'll walk all the way back to pay you. She says, no, it's my gift. And to me, I know it sounds crazy. It's kind of a bizarre dream. But to me, it was the way the world now that, you know, there, there's no longer levels. It's all about humanity, as you said, you know, other people helping each other, you know, to try to reach yeah. out and, um I don't know, I was trying to make sense of the dream, but do, do, you, do you feel what I'm saying at all? It was almost precognitive, that dream. You know, you're kind of like you know, having a flash forward. Of, of, yes, I do. I do think that your dream was trying to show you that that's the way forward. That we need to come together. Like, I guess that's my point, you know. Yeah, it's the only way. Because it's the only way. People stuff. at the top helping well, people at the bottom and vice versa. You know, here I yeah, couldn't see, and she was homeless. Stuff. You know, it was it was a troubled dream. There's no question, but I, I think that was the point of it. Now that I reflect on it, absolutely. I always say that the person who has the dream is the best interpreter of that dream. Yes. You know, I write books that that give kind of a universal interpretation of symbols, but I always say the best dream decoder is you. And what 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 dreams is great about dreams as well is it makes you get so fascinated by yourself because where did those images come from i know i know know, absolutely and i could see them in the dream but i can't in person you know so so what about all this science that's marrying the oh that i created (laughs) i know just being in that environment that i was in years ago and yet the whole city had changed and of course that's the way it is now new york has changed now temporarily it's not the city that it was after what it's been through yeah 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 um brilliant Absolutely brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, well. Uh, so tell me more about, um, you know, what, what's, what's your feeling on narcissism? Why do you think narcissism has taken over our social media, and, or do you? Oh, I do. I do. I mean, I've actually um, um, done some work with one of the world's leading narcissistic abuse experts, Melanie Tonya Evans. I wrote the preface to her book because I felt so passionately about it. It's interesting. I did that last year. Um, um, because I watched some of her videos and what she's saying was so spiritual about people who do encounter narcissists and how, and they, you know, narcissists tend to, um, you know, empaths and sensitive people tend to be attracted to narcissists. It's an awful dance, a dysfunctional dance that goes on there because, you know, sensitive and empaths often think that surely somebody can't be that self-centered or that evil for want of a better word um and it, they spend their life trying to prove to that person that you know that <laughs> you know that you know they can be more than that but it never seems to work and how do you cope when you encounter someone like that who doesn't seem to have a soul 
Um, and it, it is almost like the death of the soul. And I've seen it with horror on, on, on news feeds in the last few years, the rise of materialism. I've been writing and writing about this. And as it said, the last few years, it felt like a kettle was boiling and we were reaching this point in that narcissism seemed to be everywhere as a way of life. Um, and um, what hope have sensitives got when they can't meet that kind of lack of empathy? And then that's one reason also I wrote The Sensitive Soul. Again, it may have been precognitive because I didn't know in 2020 when it was published that this was going to happen to the world, where it feels like narcissism just tipped over. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to express how I feel. I, I get so, so emotional about it. But it's time for sensitives to rise up and show a better way. There is a better way of living. Um, people become narcissistic. Typically, I believe it's happened that somewhere in their typically their childhood life, the messages they've been getting from their parents or carers or peer group or whatever has, have destroyed that beautiful inner child that they once were who had the impulse to be kind and to care. And it's so tragic. It is. I, I had a friend who was involved with someone who was diagnosed with narcissism, and yet they said there wasn't even the, the insurance wouldn't cover it because there's no cure. No. It's, I was sadly, um, I have done. to say that, you know, to give up on anyone, we always like, the thing is we, especially sensitive people, we always believe that there must be good deep down in everyone. Mm -hmm. And it's awful wake-up call when you, you actually realize, and it's took, taken me decades to get to this point, to realize there are some people who are beyond hope. Mm -hmm. And that is frightening. That Very is frightening. Absolutely frightening for a sensitive person. And it's the first time in my life, because, you know, I, as I said, I, I consider my options as a nun, and you always believe in the good of person, however horrible they are, turn the other cheek, what I was brought up to believe and to live. And I still think that's a very beautiful ideal. But I do think there is this, and I, it is on the rise, narcissism as well, um, which is frightening, and because narcissists don't tend to go and report for treatment, for help. So these, the figures about because they can't see themselves. No, and they they actually tend to have very successful lives. But as I always say, you don't know what someone else is going through. What what does it gain a man to gain the whole world and lose their soul? Because basically they are losing their soul. And I have seen narcissists, as I say, at the point of dying, and it's not so pretty. sad. It does hit them right at the end. Usually yeah. they end up very alone and um, grasping, and, and it, there is a dawning realization at some point. Um, and I believe in spirit, because I believe in an afterlife, that they will have to understand how they've impacted others. I think the journey of our souls is to learn, and I think in the afterlife that they will be learning how their selfishness their lack of kindness and empathy impacted people around them so that maybe they can learn empathy in spirit. That's what I, I believe. But um, it is frightening today, and they touch millions of people and break hearts and, and, and lives. And um, we're seeing it even in the highest office in the land and in, in, you know, in, in politics, in all sorts of areas of life right now. And the pandemic is a real for thought, isn't it? It is. Um, about, yeah, take a deep breath, everyone. It's a turning point. It's a catalyst. 
And it's a, it's a shame about, that so many people have to die, you know. Um, something yeah, good always comes out of something bad, but... Uh, but isn't it wonderful now that we don't want to hear from the narcissists, the celebrities, the reality TV stars? We want to hear from the nurses, the doctors, the drivers, yes. the postal workers. These are our heroes now. The things I that really count. I see that. Yeah, and that's well, where you talk about in your book about gratitude, it. you know, focusing on on all the good in our lives, you know. Um, I just want to touch yes. on before we, when we're talking about narcissism, you say that sensitives ends up, end up in your book, you devote a few chapters to romance. Uh, I haven't gotten there yet, but you allude to it yes. about how they end up, do they end up in, in poor relationships, sensitive? Yeah, sadly, dysfunctional. you know, dysfun- often codependent relationships um, because they um, they won't give up on someone, you know, because... Basically, what I'm trying to say in the book is that people don't treat you how you treat them. Sensitive people think, well, if I'm kind, surely someone's going to be kind back. If I go out of my way, surely someone's going to go out of my way for me. If I'm loving, surely someone will see that love and respond because sensitive think people are like them. But what they don't realize is people do not treat you as you treat them. People treat you as you treat yourself, and the journey of a sensitive life is to love themselves enough so that if they are disrespected, treated badly, they can walk away. They value themselves enough to know that this isn't right. And the sensitive soul was also written to try and give a shot of self-love to sensitive souls, because as long as they don't love themselves enough, they are going to attract people who mirror that. Yes, said, and you, I, you talk about in the book, there's a 21-day yeah. period, right, to change a thought. I've heard this before, that, that psychologists or, yes, uh, yes doctors, can, can you talk about that a bit? It's approximately, there is there is some research that says maybe it's a week or so more or a week or so less, but 21 is a symbolic number. It's kind of stuck now. So do something for three weeks. Try and change your thoughts for three weeks because that, that will set new, new neural pathways in your brain so it becomes like um, something that, unconscious that you don't have to think about it so much because it feels natural to you the sensitive souls though because they are so have brought up it's ingrained in them that you know to put other people first and to 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 be the way they are it can take longer but it is so important that they learn to love themselves because once you do that self-respect self-love of course yeah, it's, and it's not in a narcissistic way, though. That There's a difference. No, of course, so absolutely. In, in, a, in a way that it is empowering for others. And, it, you know, you still be the caring and beautiful and kind soul because, goodness, that's what the world needs. And at the end of the day, beautiful, kind, caring souls are the ones who have the greatest blessing of all, which is to live a life without regret. And to, to go to their end when their time comes to go with a smile on their face rather than regret. And so are these particular really affirmations that. that you give people? <clears throat> Excuse me. Excuse I me. am enough. If, I, if the, any, any affirmation, if you want to say, is I am enough, nobody else can complete you, no job, no other person, no home, no amount of money can complete you. The only person who can complete you is you, and you have to understand that you are enough. Everything you need, you are enough. If, if people could just understand that, write it on the on the wall, say that out loud. Even the act of saying it, it's quite difficult for sensitive people to say. 
but saying, I am enough. I'm enough. And that you're in control <laughs> of your own life. Now, do you think that the, uh, excuse me, I had something in my throat. Do, did you think that, do you think that the uh, secret fell short in some ways? A little bit. I mean, I have been a bit critical of the secret in some of my books because I write a lot of books about the power of ritual. Because I think the missing ingredient in the secret is it makes people feel bad because they think, well, I did change my thoughts. I really tried, but my life still sucks. And then I say, well, what are you doing? Because there's no point. We can all go away and meditate and do yoga and do endless affirmations. But then if we, you know, if we do say, I want to see, be slim and fit and healthy, if we go and do all this yoga and imagining that and then go and eat really dreadful food and don't exercise, you know, your <laughs> actions are the missing part of the puzzle, positive doing. And I actually think that the, your actions impact your brain just as much as your thoughts impact your body. We know that. When you go for a brisk walk or a run, it lifts your mood. Everything you do, pay attention to what you do. Start your day right. Make your bed. Do a big stretch. Show the universe that you are a positive. Do it. I think the universe must be so fed up of all these positive thinkers. They're, you know, we've all met people who are all talk and no action, haven't we? And oh, I think that's how the universe definitely. must deal with all these affirmation and people who read the, some of the some of the people who read the secret. Yeah. But you get fed up after a while. You you learn not to trust that person because they talk to talk, but then there's no backup. Well, and these small things, like you said, to change our mood and energy are so important. Even the smallest things, especially during the pandemic being locked up so much. You know, I, I had I found a home exercise program that I don't know what I would have done without. And, uh, you know, we've all, we can't go to the gym and there's so many things that we can't do now, you know. Um, I wanted to touch on instinct. Um, you know, especially this fascinates me, the topic of the instinct you talk about in your book and following your instinct, following your emotions and listening to that inner voice, because uh, especially having lost part of my eyesight, uh, your senses do increase. There's no question when you lose part of your eyesight. But I was always a sort of a uh, intuitive type anyway. I had dreams and everything. But I just remember a few months ago, before the pandemic hit, I was supposed to go on a cruise with my boyfriend, and I kept telling everyone, I don't know, I don't timing's not right, I was supposed to have a medical procedure, and they said, well, you may not run right into it, it's okay, it's okay. But I kept saying, no, no, something in my instinct for over a month was telling me, no, I don't think this is the right time to go on this cruise. And then suddenly the COVID hit. <laughs> and I really, oh, in retrospect, feel like I was, my, my inner voice was saying, this is not the time to travel, not the time to travel, don't go on that cruise. And so it's just an example of many of us. We need to really tune into our instinct. Absolutely. Thank you for, for, for highlighting that. And um, people don't, though, because they think, oh, it's, it's, it's anxiety or wishful thinking you hear. That's what, what I was I accused of. I was story. being overly anxious. And, uh, and, and then my boyfriend later said to me, you know, you were smart. You told us not to go on that cruise. But it was happening way before. It was happening about five, six weeks before I kept saying, I don't want to go. This is not the right time to go on this cruise. You are clearly sensitive and psychic, and, and that's with, with when you get these feelings. They typically make you do something, and that's how yes. you can often tell the difference between intuition and fear. You mm-hmm. see, fear leaves you trapped in indecision. When it's fear, when it's the voice of fear, it's also fear is also very harsh on you. It's very self-critical. It puts you down. It makes you feel bad about yourself, and it traps you in status that you have indecision. However, intuition, which you were talking about, your inner voice, it's just clear. You knew you didn't want to go. 
Yeah. And it didn't matter what other people said. No. It, it, wasn't, it, it, it was an empowering decision as well. Intuition tends to make you feel right. You know, the, there, there always, there's always going to be some kind of doubt, but there's this, this sense, no, this is right. I don't know how to explain why, but this is what I've got to do. And time and time again, I've had stories sent to me about that. It's just a knowing that speaks often through your body as well. There's often a physical knowing, but I think the, the body is very intuitive. It's so fascinating. Pay attention, pay attention to, 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 to experiences in your body, how your body feels. Your body, I think, is the first yes. time that you pick up things. And we've all, I've had that often that I've been in an environment and then I suddenly get a headache or something and I you want to leave and then I find out that, you know, that the environment I wasn't in, the decision is made, wasn't positive. It, I'm listening to my body much, much more now than I ever did. It's yeah, it's really, really important because our body speaks loudly and often when we're too busy and we have too much chaos going on or uh, we don't stop for the quiet moments, we don't hear that voice, you know. And, and trust me, when you lose part of your eyesight, you should hear me with the Uber drivers. I am the legally blind GPS. They've gone a block too far, a mile too far. I say, wait, oh, did you make the wrong turn? Wait, oh, you're in the wrong place. I know. How do you know? You can't see. <laughs> you know, it happens. Oh, One guy from Africa said to me, oh, my God, I wish I was. you were with me all day. I'm going to go home and tell them a blind girl got me to the Trader Joe's. <laughs> he says, he says, I can't believe you directed me. I don't know where I am. I've only lived here for three months. <laughs> brilliant. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> it's so funny. So, 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 you know, I know you have many stories, and I could keep you busy all day telling you stories about, about blindness, but unfortunately we're running out of time. And, Teresa, I just wanted to thank you so much for taking the time to do the show. I know our listeners have have learned so much today, and I hope everyone out there will check out some of Teresa's books. Uh, she's written over 100 of them, especially the sensitivity code, the latest one that we were referring to, that being sensitive, especially in today's world, is not such a bad thing. And learn how to work with it. And remember, the the word of the day is empathy. In today's world, we all need to have more empathy and compassion for each other. So thank you for listening. Uh, check out Teresa's website, TeresaChung.com. And the spelling of that is T-H-E-R-E-S-A, and her last name is C-H-E-U-N-G, TeresaChung.com, daily best-selling author. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. Have a blessed day. I'm Kristen McDonald. Thanks for listening.